Hi, I'm Hassel, and you're listening to Pulled Corks, the unpretentious fine beverage podcast. Okay, everybody, we've got a little bit of a different one for you today. JP is on location in Japan right now, and he has gotten us an interview with Christopher Hughes, international sake sommelier and educator. So for the remainder of the show, we are going over there to you, JP. So hello, this is JP, live from Tokyo, more or less. No, it's a canned recording, but um, I can present you our first ever real guest on the Pulled Course podcast, Christopher Hughes. Hello. Yeah, I'm really honored to be the, the first guest on the Pulled Corks. Yeah, today's topic is sake. Yeah. Since we're in Tokyo, sake is like the obvious topic we will cover. Um, so how did you get into sake and what is your background? How, how did you make it to Japan? Just a little introduction about yourself. So that would be about 10 years ago now. Uh, my first kind of taste of premium sake is what really got me into the, the beverage. Um, and that was when I was working for uh, my first kind of real job after university, working for a Japanese food and drink uh, importer in, in London. And, um, you know, one day out of the blue, a brewery uh, came over from Japan and they kind of did a little study session and they introduced their, their sake. And um, to be honest with you, I think before I tasted my first premium sake, I'd already been won over. I'd already been hooked by the story. That, I call it the story, but basically the presentation which the brewer gave. Because, you know, I was already a really big fan of Japan, Japanese culture, and everything in his presentation was intertwined with everything that I'd fallen in love with about the country. But I guess the point is that until I had that taste of premium sake, um, everything I tasted before that, uh, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I mean, I, I don't it think it Tastes like nail polish yeah, or something. Like nail polish would be a, a very, very uh, generous way of referring to it. I, I think it probably wasn't sake. I mean, it was things being labeled as sake in London, in Chinese restaurants and things. But you know, you've got to taste the premium stuff to really... Chinese rocket fuel. Yeah, and Chinese rocket fuel. And, and the point is that sake is actually quite subtle in flavor. It can be quite elegant. It can taste a little bit like wine these days uh, as well. There's something for everyone, lots of different flavor profiles to discover. And like me, you have to, at some point, have that sip of premium sake to really oh, you know, fall in love with it. But fall in love with it, you will, I can yeah. confidently say. Yeah, and uh, first of all, we are in the right environment to taste sake tonight. We are, you we can are. hear it in the background. Yes. I have to apologize if you don't understand everything clearly, because <laughs> we, we are right in the belly of the beast. We're in a we are. sake bar, yeah. sake tasting bar, yeah. very special place. We will yeah. talk about that later. Yeah. Right in the heart of Ueno, Tokyo. Yes. So you, you will get some real local background noise tonight. Right, right. And so I actually, um, I work partly for this bar um, behind the scenes. I, I help translate their articles. They have like a website um, and uh, they put up various media and articles in Japanese. And I basically, and I translate these into English and I kind of reformat them for a non-Japanese speaking, um, non, you know, for an audience that maybe isn't so knowledgeable about sake try and make these articles a little bit easier to understand. I also teach uh, 
I, I know that you have the, the W set um, sake uh, yes. level three. Yeah. Yes, level three. Um, I actually teach level three here in Tokyo, so I'm a certified W set educator. Uh, very lucky to be given the opportunity to become an educator in 2017, and I, I took the chance with uh, both hands. And um, so basically, I worked in London for about four years. Two years, which uh, two years of that included actually working as a specialist salesperson, um, kind of uh, going around the restaurants with sake breweries and selling their wares. And then in 2014, I thought, right, okay, if you want to really understand, if I want to study more about sake, the only place to come to. Is Japan. Absolutely, yeah. that's why I am here tonight. Right, right. And I know you're visiting a brewery you told me tomorrow. So when I, I the, my original purpose for coming here was I thought I'll just be here a year and during that year I'm going to visit about a hundred breweries and I'm going to document my travel. Um, I did the visiting bit. Um, I, I didn't, sadly, I didn't really document it very well, but I did the visiting bit. I, I haven't been around, I haven't managed quite a hundred breweries, but almost a hundred breweries. And then during my time in here in Tokyo, uh, I was working for a, a little sake shop in Tokyo Station. Um, I met a sake brewery from Yamagata Prefecture. Um, and they offered me uh, a job to work in Tokyo as their, their kind of like their sales representative. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. They so hire like the gaijin. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I was the the shop when I was working Tokyo Station. They would always have sake breweries come and kind of do sales demonstrations. Like representatives. Yeah, and I was just stacking the shelves, you know. And then I got a tap on the shoulder, and I was like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" And, like, well, I, and I told my story. And pretty much on the spot, they said, why don't you come and work for us? <laughs> That's amazing. Amazing. So I worked for this brewery for a year and, um, you know, most of, most of the time I was just studying department stores, but, you know, that was a lot of fun, pouring sake for, you know, for regular Japanese customers and, uh, and telling them the story of the brewery. And, so uh, that's a really good training for your Japanese descriptors and everything. It is, it is. Because I, I, I struggle with that with the wine at the moment. Yeah, it's so. a lot of jargon, isn't it? Yeah. It's a lot of jargon. But I mean, I'd learned all my jargon during my four years in London and reading a lot of books, like, you know, the books, sake books which are out there, like the ones which are written by, the one which is written by Philip Harper and, uh, and John Gaunt, yeah. uh, who I am, have the honor of working with now oh, this is on a regular amazing. basis. Yeah. Um, so basically, I. I spent this year trying to learn more about sake and uh, they invited me to come do a training at the brewery so I have actually now got some hands-on experience um, in brewing also. in actually brewing yeah but but nothing uh, hardcore like some of the people you know they some of the other uh, sake pros here in Japan have actually spent like two weeks or a few months working in a brewery I haven't actually you know taken that bold step yet but I can tell you it's hard work it's really I believe hard work. that <laughs> you know I think the biggest difference between wine and sake I would say straight off is that sake is more focused on the production because the grapes really don't play that uh, sorry, the rice really doesn't play that big a part in the end product in the flavor profile in the flavor profile and unless the brewer does something with the brewing process to kind of up that influence enhance the enhance terroir the, basically yeah. yeah the terroir yeah exactly um, so I would say you know maybe it's 70% production 30% ingredients so it's more on the beer side in, in that exactly. term like 
with the beer you choose the hops you choose the grains right you choose the yeast right and then you have and the water and then you have kind of control about the yeah, outcome i guess yeah. it's very similar i mean there are definitely more similarities with the process mm. it's um, brewing after all it is brewing after all and one reason why we compare it with beer is because like beer you have this other stage required to create alcohol you don't have any sugar in the rice so you have to malt the rice to create the sugar and that's probably the biggest similarity with beer and that's where the similarities end i would say because um the process is very the process is is very different it's a far more complex many more layers um i mean there's kind of like a basic flow of the process and then there are about 10 million different combinations every brewer makes their sake just a little bit differently from the other one down the road um, but that's what makes sake so interesting you know? um, that's true yeah, yeah. Uh, sake is maybe one one of the most versatile drinks when you think about like the base ingredients yes yeah definitely yeah because you, you don't really have much to play with you know you only you have rice just rice it contains starch a little bit of protein carbohydrates obviously but lipids vitamin. I mean there's not much you can do with that it's you know, everything has to be kind of you know any kind of flavor you want to produce is produced through the production process. especially if you polish most of the flavorful right. components away. well exactly and, and you know that's a trend nowadays uh, polishing you know uh, is you know so what you do is you kind of uh, you remove some of the the outer parts of the rice grain um, I mean, you know, we do this with eating rice. So eating rice is, you know, when you, when you actually have, you take harvested eating rice from the field, it's, it's brown, right? It still has the husk and it has the layers of protein. So normally, you know, we, we, we mill away or we remove the outer layers of the eating rice as well, down to maybe 80%. Um, you know, I'm going all the way back to the origin of sake brewing. Uh, in the olden days, because they didn't have the technology to you know, remove any more than, than the first 20% of the rice grain, they would polish to about 80%. Uh, nowadays, uh, because we have these machines which can, you know, remove more of the rice grain, and we can go all the way down to sort of like, you know, the record right now is 1%. So, so just, just 1% of the rice grain remaining. A tiny bit of starch that's right. left over. Just a tiny bit of starch left over. And the trend tends to be in Japan right now, it tends to be to produce premium sake, which means polishing the, the rice grain down to past the 70% mark. So, um, you know, and obviously, like you say, you're removing a lot of the flavor as well as removing the protein, which is the, the main reason why they remove this protein is because it, it does produce this kind of off flavors. It makes the, the sake funky very stuff. rich, very funky, yeah. And the thing about premium sake is that it's very elegant, it's very subtle, and to produce this subtle, elegant flavor, this I might refer to it as a kind of a more refined flavor. To do that, you, you remove these, these off-flavor-producing proteins from the outside of the rice. And what you have left, because the rice that they use is, a, is kind of like a special type of rice, they cultivate it um, specifically for, for sake brewing. And it's different from eating rice in that in the center of the rice grain, it's just basically 100% starch. It's, it's like, a, how would you put it, like a, a nucleus-filled starch. Core. A core, yeah. We actually call it the, the shimpaku, which uh, literally translates, I think we could, we, maybe in English we would call it the white part. Yeah. Because when you actually look at a grain of sake rice from above, 
Um, because of the way, because of like the density of this white heart, the way that light travels through the, the white heart makes it shine like, you know, a, like a bright core. Bright white, like a, a white jewel. We often refer to it as a white jewel. So, um, so it's basically like milling that bright diamond right. out of that rice grain. Exactly. And, and in the case of, let's say, the, the super premium sake, which is called Daiginjo, um, they, they, they mill the grain so that basically all you have left is that shimpaku, the white heart. And if you go further than that, then you know, you're talking about some really crazy um, you know, sake, which, you know, there are, there are a lot of brewers that do go beyond that, that halfway point. But once you get to sort of like 40%, and you mill any more than 40%. They generally say in the industry that it doesn't... Doesn't really matter anymore. Exactly. It's kind of just for show. It's just a gimmick. It's show how good your technology is. Basically. Right, right. It's like the Formula One of sake brewing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so I would say, you know, like, if you're coming to a place like uh, this this, um, this sake emporium that we're in tonight, and you're just, first of all, you know, you're, you're discovering sake for the first time, um, then you... you you need to taste premium sake, uh, and that doesn't mean going for the the, the fifty percent polished sake straight away. I mean, I would actually say maybe don't start with the the really really good stuff to begin with, because you know it's not just about quality; it's about you know preference. Maybe your preference isn't the, good, the really really good stuff. I mean, it's the same with wine, right? Yeah. You, not everyone likes you know the really really oaked. Um, expensive yeah. burgundies, right? Some people prefer the, the New World or something yeah. like that. And, uh, a more simple wine from south of France. Or right, something. right. And you can do the same thing with sake. And so, um, what I would like to do actually is uh, is take you through a little flight of uh, a sake. And yeah, maybe, I would love and maybe to do that. Talk about it a, a little bit. So, um, okay, well, I'm going to go yeah. off and get a sake from the fridge then. Oh, uh, awesome. I can't wait. Okay. The pouring as well. Okay, so I have um, I've prepared two sake. Um, so the the one on uh, your uh, let's see on your um, left hand side, yeah, is is your yes your left hand side is this is a junmai. Okay, it's called a junmai, and this one on the right hand side is called a honjozo. Okay, so one of the first things I, I would say I would teach someone who's never kind of uh, tasted sake before is that there are two uh, distinct types of sake. Uh, normally, um, generally, so you have one type of sake where all the alcohol is naturally produced in the fermentation. Okay, and you don't add anything apart from three main ingredients. So you have basically sake made with rice, water. Let's take the yeast as a given. I guess I guess it's four technically. And then you have this thing called koji. Okay, this is the big difference between wine, beer, and any other alcoholic beverage that you can think of. This koji, it's kind of like um, a mold, and what they do is they grow it on the rice, and the mold produces uh, enzymes, and these enzymes, it's these enzymes that cut through the starch chains and produce sugar. Okay. That's what you need to make alcohol to, out of rice. Exactly. That's what you need to malt the rice. Okay. Um, so sake has to be made with koji. You can't make sake without koji. So this, um, so there's one type of sake where, which is just made with the water, the rice, and the koji. Okay. And that's called uh, junmai. Okay. Which literally means translates to pure rice. 
And it's, yeah, it's really all about the flavor of the rice. And then you have this other type where what they do is they add a little bit of distilled alcohol in at, just at the end of the fermentation process. And what this distilled alcohol addition does is it lowers the body. And because uh, the aroma compounds um, kind of attach themselves better to the alcohol molecules than they do the water molecules, you end up trapping a lot more of the aroma as well. And sake can have quite a nice aroma. You, you can get kind of um, everything from kind of like cereal notes. Uh, obviously, it's made from rice, so you get a lot of kind of like rice notes. But if I was to say rice notes to most non-Japanese people, they don't really know what you're talking about. But I would compare it to like cereal, you know, so grain, like yeah. grain, yeah. Grain. Flavor. grain or nuts and things like that so you get quite a, a strong grain flavor um, and you can also get quite a, a strong like like in wine fruity uh, aromas esters basically it's possible to produce esters in sake brewing by, low, by lowering the uh, temperature um, to and and by adding the alcohol what you do is you can trap these aromas okay so these two types how would you describe them very 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 simply the the genmai i would compare it to a red wine right because it has kind of quite a lot of body a lot more acidity although sake has generally lower acidity than wine you know per se there's no acidity from the no you have to recalibrate your your palate really uh, when you're tasting sake yeah. you have to think more in the beer category of yeah I'd, I'd agree with that I'd agree with that um, but you do have some acidity oh it's low but you do have some acidity and you get more acidity in the Junmai uh, just like you do with the red wine and you get more body uh, and it tends to have more structure and more flavor whereas the uh, other type uh, which I haven't told you the name yet but this is uh, called Honjozo okay um, uh, not an easy one to translate into English, so just remember that as Honjozo, okay? Uh, Honjo Quite a bulky name. Yeah, I think we need to maybe find an easy name for that. But they, I mean, literally translated, it's kind of like authentic brewed sake, but but it's not authentic at all, so I don't know why it gets that name. But anyway, Honjozo is the polar opposite in that it has lower body, uh, it has a lot more aroma because you're, you're trapping that aroma with the alcohol addition, um, and it tends to have more grain flavor. You can taste the addition of alcohol, depending on how well they integrate the alcohol into the final product. I, I've tasted um, Honjozo that you really can't taste the alcohol addition at all. And then other ones where at the end, it kind of just sticks out. You know, like when you taste the spirit, for example. But now this is important. Just because they added alcohol doesn't mean that the alcohol content is different. The total content is not higher, like in a no. fortified wine? No, it's the same actually, because they always dilute the sake after filtration or pressing with water. So, so even with the Junmai they do this? Yes, correct. So it's got nothing to do with alcohol strength whatsoever. But I would say that if you don't like the taste of alcohol, sometimes this alcohol added one might not be for you, depending, like I say, on how well they integrate the alcohol. Okay, so we have two types. I'd like you to taste, um, so we're, we're going to taste the Junmai, I'm going to taste the Honjozo. And I actually haven't come across um, a, a, as good a comparison as these two sake. They are really atypical examples of, of both types, I think. We, we can really compare them. Yeah. So I'll start with the Junmai. The Junmai, yeah. So, Oh, yeah. we're, we're tasting this in a wine glass, by the way. Yeah. Well, a wine glass without wine, a leg. Yeah, without a stem. Yeah. It's kind of a wine glass shape. 
right. to get the full aroma. So the, the traditional way of tasting sake is actually in this small um, cup called ochoko. Yeah, the porcelain or uh, stoneware, earthenware right. cup. Right, but you, we're finding recently that because, you know, a lot of brewers have kind of gone into the West and studied a little bit about wine and they've realized that actually sake has a big enough aroma profile to benefit from being put in a, a wine glass. glass yeah. exactly. and also, it's good to have a standardized container to yes. Yes. for tasting. Agreed. So, um, first of all, I would say it's pretty clear, water white, not much, maybe a little tinge of yeah, yellow. Yeah, it's a tinge of lemon, green. lemon green. Yeah. yeah, I would say I would say lemon green bordering on water yeah. white, but it's yeah, very clear. So. Yeah. Because it's a jamai, I mean, generally you're going to get quite a lot of amino compounds from the rice. So generally, uh, you're going to find some color in a jamai. Some coloration, sometimes yeah. even a little bit of haziness. Yes, some. yes. I mean, normally sake is fine filtered, um, but uh, not always. Okay, on the nose, it's not very obvious. So I get a little little hint of alcohol mm. but it's not like boozy or strong not at all no there's a, a little nutty bready component the cereal we were talking yeah about. yeah i think it's, it's almost like bread yeah. right yeah and this, this sake maybe has a few esters uh it's not been made in in the where i will talk about this a little later on it's not been made in an aromatic style but they've picked up a few esters along the way i think Nutty, ready, uh, a little bit of banana. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. you will find that again, analogy with beer in, in the German wheat beers. You right. Find that banana. Yes, or pineapple. Yeah. But the the ethyl butyrate yeah. uh, comes out quite yeah. a lot in sake. Um, so yeah, that's about it. I yes. Yeah. A little little something her herbaceous in, in the background. Yeah. Like. Uh, Aniseed, yeah, aniseed is another yeah. common ester mm. which gets picked up even in Jinmai Saki. That, that, that isn't the objective, but it's yeah. avoidable, unavoidable. Uh, let's get to the, the yeah. palate. Yeah. The Jinmai is generally fermented at a high temperature, but when we say high, it's not red wine high or even white wine high. It's around about 18 degrees, maybe. Okay, so. On the palate, you can feel the alcohol. Yeah. It explodes quite a bit on the yeah. back of the palate. Yeah. It's quite full bodied. Mm -hmm. Like the body can easily uh, beat a heavy red wine. Mm -hmm. um, almost milky, creamy yeah, texture. Yeah, definitely. It has a lovely, yeah. creamy texture yeah. to it. Yeah. Which is coming from the rice. Yeah. And actually, this kind of rich flavor, this kind of um, full, well, not full body, but this quite medium body, I would say, medium body flavor, and this richness and this fruit as well, is a very common characteristic of the rice which was used to make it. Do you, you have any idea what rice was used to make this one? Have a guess? Well, this one? No. It's actually Yamada Nishiki. Yamada Yeah. I, I would say. Uh, it's almost too bold for Yamada right. in the classics. Well, yeah, you might be onto something there because this is Yamana Nishiki, half Yamana Nishiki and half Goihaku Mangoku, oh, okay. right? So, not quite the, the perfect expression of Yamana Nishiki. But Yamana Nishiki, by the way, is kind of like our Chardonnay. It's quite a difficult sake rice to grow, um, but notoriously sought after in the industry. And most of the premium, super premium sake are made with this Yamana Nishiki, which tends to produce this kind of apple melon. Um, flavor, um, as well as a very rich kind of profile. 
yeah, definitely full bodied. Um, well, yeah. The best way to see the difference between Honjozo and Jumai is to taste them side by side. So, have a have a taste of this Honjozo. By the way, this Jumai is from Ishikawa Prefecture. Ishikawa Prefecture. Yeah. So this is on the Japanese sea side of Japan. Yeah, the west side, western yeah. seaboard, and uh, it's a peninsula, a long peninsula called the Noto Peninsula. Beautiful, beautiful. It's it's like sandwiched in between beautiful sea and beautiful mountains. Um, they don't only have like amazing sake they, there they have amazing seafood food as well yeah and uh, something i import sometimes to germany uh, the the special charcoal grills oh right. i know that Noto, okay out of a special earth but that's a different topic right for a different oh and you learn something every day but and yeah. also they are one of the um so in in the brewery obviously there, there's a there's kind of like a foreman uh which we call a toji and they have these guilds all over Japan, which kind Sometimes of train them. Brewmaster. The brewmaster, the you know uh, top Joe. So Ishikawa Prefecture is actually one of uh, is home to one of the most famous um, brewing master guilds. Yeah, which kind of like employment agencies basically that kind of train up these toji and, and ship them out to all the breweries over Japan. Okay, so I'm yabbering too much. Uh, just, just, uh, <laughs> a final comment on the Junmai had a very very long finish yes yes uh, and and the, the herbaceous and uh, aniseed aroma linger uh, is still there actually yeah the aniseed's quite yeah. strong isn't yeah. it this one especially in the finish and that's I, actually pretty nice you could even use that as an aperitif i'd agree i'd agree you could be aperitif you could pair this with food food pairing potential is massive not just japanese cuisine but western cuisine as well which might come as a surprise to listeners who aren't familiar with sake but the food pairing potential of sake is can i say maybe above and beyond wine in some sectors yeah, you, yeah i mean you don't have most of the problems you can run into with wine right bitterness and, yeah, and too, uh, much acidity, too, too much acidity too much acidity yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The only problem with sake, I think, is the alcohol content. And maybe when you're trying to pair spicy food, it becomes a little bit of an, an obstacle. But, um, yeah. So, let's try talking this, about alcohol. The Honjozo, yeah. So, yeah, this is even, yeah, coming from a wine perspective, they're all clear and, and watery. Right. But, yeah, this is even clearer. Yeah, this is definitely clearer. But it still has a tinge of lemon a green. Little, yeah. Little. More yellow than green, I would say. Yeah, lemon maybe even, yeah, pale lemon maybe. Very ripe lime maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so in the nose. Right. This is more floral, more elegant. That's right, yeah, yeah. So almost like perfume. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think that's the one thing, yeah, in perfume production, we always use alcohol to extract aromas from Yeah, that's right. Something. You do, so, yeah, 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 is, yeah. You basically use the sake mash and add some alcohol and extract additional aromas. That's oh, like, that's really good. I, the, yeah, 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 never thought about that. I mean, I'm taking notes here as well. I'm, yeah, I'm going to use that. Like the, the German, like the, the herb liquor we have in Germany, like the Jägermeister, yes. which is a bad example. Yeah. We have better ones, but... Or yeah. even gin, yeah. Yeah. gin as well. Yeah. The way it kind of extracts yeah. the, botan the, uh, the aromas from the botanicals. Yeah. yeah. So we have some analogies in that area. That's right. Yeah, but I never thought about the perfume one. It's interesting. 
not not that much cereal here. Like no, but you bread. might get the banana bread, which yeah. does that banana bread is it's yeah. kind of like a yeah. fake kind of banana, yeah. uh, baked banana, like, yeah. baked banana. Yeah, yeah. The caramelized banana, mm. With mm. a little maltiness. Uh, right, and I always get kind of like straw and hay and really, really rustic qualities, and you know, like um, some kind of fig as well. Sometimes it's ah, yeah. sweet, yeah. dried fig. Dried fig, mm. yeah. You know, when it comes to tasting sake actually for W set, um, you're really limited to the aromas that you can use. You know, with wine, you've got like this long list of all these different types of aromas. In a way, with sake, we're almost getting tired of the, the lack of the lack of choice. But um, yeah, but actually, in actual fact, if you really wanted to make you know a full range of aromas, uh, it would be impossible because sake is so subtle. There are so many, you know. Um, I'm sure it crosses over into wine territory, definitely. So I, I actually don't stick too much to the textbook. When it comes you can't. To you can't. No, no. Yeah. I mean, when I'm doing, when I'm writing the aromas down for my personal use and for for this, you know, uh, bar, I, I just use my imagination. You know. So yeah, here definitely more elegant, more floral, lighter. Yeah. yeah. Even less sting from the alcohol, so yeah, it, it actually proves the fact that they're both about the same right, strength. Right, yeah. it's actually well integrated this yeah. one. So, um, uh, like I said before at the beginning, you know, some Honjozo uh, alcohol added sake um, do have this problem with integration of alcohol and become a little bit boozy, feel a little bit, feel a little bit industrial, you know, because it's industrial alcohol at the end of the day. But no, this one is well integrated. Um, so, try it on the palette. Mm. Mm. For the listeners, I'm not spitting tonight. I'm, I'm not in an environment. <laughs> no, no, it's it's a little bit difficult. We're surrounded by um, patrons trying to do this quite. Uh, one Did more amazing feature about this place, you're allowed to bring your own food here? That's right, we encourage it actually because, um, you know, pairing... Food is, is that other dimension that adds, you know, other qualities to sake. One, one thing about sake, what I was saying before, goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, sake maybe having more potential than wine when it comes to food pairing, it, is that it has this transformative quality, which I don't think, I don't think wine maybe has. And what I mean by that is that it can actually change the flavor of the food physically um, because of the amount of umami. Uh, That's something I wanted to talk right? with you about. I mean, I'm a big fan of umami. One of, one of the things that uh, really got me interested in sake very early on was the umami thing. Um, and, well, briefly, umami is basically this uh, fifth flavor. Uh, we all know that there are more than four flavors that you can pick up on the tongue but you know let's say for argument that we're most familiar with sweetness dryness bitterness um what else we have sourness and then we have this fifth one we have umami which is basically when um you get basically amino acids uh, a type of a specific type of amino acid called glutamate so glutamic acid when it combines with uh, ribonuclides in the uh, in the mouth um you get this 
kind of seventh heaven of flavor, which is hard to describe if you've never really tasted it. Kind but it's, of flavor explosion. It's a flavor explosion. The best way to describe it is kind of like if you ever eat a tomato and then you just let it dissolve on your tongue at the end and you're left with this kind of tarty uh, sensation or a mushroom, yeah. right? Um, that's ripened parmesan cheese yeah cheese is a great example cheese is a fantastic example and um actually we'll, we'll end today with um with an umami explosion but when you have a lot of umami in the food and you have a lot of umami in the sake and you put them together this is when you get this explosion and because sake is made from rice uh, which contains protein which it, when you break it down becomes amino acids you inherently you have this bigger umami potential and that's what makes it what i said before you know you know i think it has this transformative quality which maybe you don't get with other beverages yeah, it's a fantastic food partner you don't find many wines with umami profiles. No, you maybe don't. really old Barolo or something with right, yeah, yeah. aging process. Yeah, combine each other. But yeah, you have to get lucky with that. I was surprised actually when I tasted Barolo about that. You know, it does have that kind of you know umami quality, but that makes sense because you know you're pairing it with Italian food, and Italian food is one of the cuisines which is chock full of umami, as well as well as my own country's cuisine. As That's well. why sake and pizza works. So yeah, sake and pizza. Is a great match you know uh, next time you order a pizza just get a glass of sake and try pairing it with all the different toppings on the pizza it's, it's a great way to discover food pairing and sake so what do you think of this comparison I mean yeah, I, I didn't finish the palette yeah for this one so it's lighter body than the first one mm -hmm. um, a little bit more acid, well, that's interesting. I mean, normally the Jinmai is the one which has the higher acidity. Um, if your mouth is watering afterwards, then definitely I would say that's the acidity. Um, interesting. Also, a little bit of astringency in the back. Yeah, I think it probably does. Yeah. It's very interesting. So I wonder if this is like a higher lactic acid profile. Um, not for this particular sake. This is made using the kind of. Um, normal uh, yeast starter procedure yeah method um, but it's kind of surprising for me right I didn't expect this much acid yeah that's unusual actually because normally the Jinmai is the one with the clear um, acidity and, and the Honjozo has but, but you know I, th I thought they were very typical examples but perhaps not so much in that respect but you the other one the, the sweetness and the body yeah. are so creamy and overwhelming that they cover up the acidity right uh, so the actual yeah. lab stats would say this one has more right but like from the feeling perspective what I sense in, on, in my mouth even the mouth watering sensation mm. I would say this has more yeah yeah that may be true and because acidity is so low in sake anyway it's really hard to know where you are yeah. you know on that scale it's yeah. one of the hardest things to so, yeah. to judge I also perceive a little bit less sweetness and creaminess that's so definitely the acid is coming out definitely the case this yeah. one's quite yeah because of the rice and you know Jinmai did tend to be a little sweeter and richer this one has a little bit more sweetness than say a lot of you know most most I mean the thing about sake is generally it's sweet if you try comparing with wine most of the time it's going to be hard to find something as dry as wine you know I, 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 when it comes to wine it would be like in the off dry to medium sweet exactly category, yeah. exactly especially because there's no acid to buffer it yeah you can have a Riesling from Germany with like 
three times as much residual sugar than the sake, but right. the acid will completely yeah. hide it. Yeah, and and not all the sugar, and the way that sake is fermented means that not all the sugar is actually converted into alcohol a, a lot of the time. Um, they ferment for quite a long time. They have to to produce this higher alcohol, but because of the amount of starch sugar that they need to actually drive this thing, um, you know, then normally there's quite a lot of residual sugar left out. Well, a lot, lot, a lot more than wine. Yeah, sugar is produced throughout the whole brewing Exactly, process. that's right. Yeah, it's actually... It's not used up like in grape juice. That's where right. Where you have a, a certain amount to start with yeah. and then going down. Is actually added all the time. That's right. So we, we often refer to the process of making sake as a parallel fermentation process where you have uh, two reactions going on at the same time. So you have the starch conversion and you have the alcohol conversion basically happening in the same tank. Uh, so what you do is you, you add the ingredients over a period of, say, uh, well, it's about four days. Um, if, you, if you add all the ingredients at once into the tank, you kind of overwhelm the yeast and uh, then it, it, it sort of stops fermenting a lot of the time. So what they do is they add the ingredients in stages, um, but it means that you, at the end of the, the four days, you have all the starch that you're going to use inside the tank and then basically um, it's about achieving a balance between starch conversion and alcohol version. So you don't have too much sugar left over or you don't, the yeast doesn't eat all the sugar straight away and you, 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 you know, you don't have any more to, to uh, convert. So, yeah, you have to take care of more microbes than That's the right. winemaker. That's right. It's all about microbes. You know, it, most brewers will refer to sake brewing as they, they compare it to looking after a small child. Uh, you know, they're not really doing anything to make the sake, they're just providing the right environment, controlling the temperature, um, you know, acidity levels, so that these microbes have a sufficient place to, to function healthily and produce the right flavors and aromas. Oh, yeah, we, we tasted like two archetypical sakes yeah. now. So, would you agree with the comparison that maybe like this is kind of red and this is like white wine? You know, if someone is tasting sake for the first time, say they like white wine. In, in terms of like body, I would say absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, flavor profile is complicated. It's all, It's difficult yeah. to do that yeah, comparison. If you, if you like, most of the the Jumai I know also have a little bit more of astringency. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Some have more acid, so yeah, they, they yeah. Go more, tend to be more in the red wine well, drinker. Well, let me let you in on a little secret. So, uh, well, um, this is uh, a fact that maybe uh, listeners want to throw out because it could confuse you at this point. But for the people who already know a little bit about sake um, and want to know more, actually, the Junmai doesn't have any polishing um, uh, kind of limits, right? So it's not about how much you, you polish the rice, mill the rice. Um, it's just about the fact that it's made with only three ingredients. There's no added alcohol, and it's you know uh, this style. Uh, so actually, this jinmai is made with rice polished down to 55 percent. It's only five percent off the super premium category, and I guess that's probably what has taken away some of that kind of pure rice essence that a lot of other gin might have. Like you mentioned, the astringency. I think that's definitely true. Amino acid. Right. So for the Honjozo, there is a polishing rule. It has to be, the rice has to be milled to at least the 70% point, okay? You can polish more than that. You can take away more of the rice grain, but you must take at least um, the first 30%.
Okay, so 70% remaining. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to bring over a sake which is polished beyond, well this one was polished beyond the 70% mark, but this is on, I'm, I'm going to actually choose a sake where this is done on purpose to actually produce some more refined, elegant sake. So we're going to move into what we call the Ginjo category. And with Ginjo sake, it really is all about the aroma, the ester-induced aroma. You could say like the white rice is like a blank canvas. I like yeah, that, yeah. It's not a brown paper. I like it's that. It's not a recycling yeah. paper. It's right. like nothing left than a white sheet yes. of paper. Yeah. I like that. It's a really good, really good way, analogy of, yeah. and it accurately explains what a ginjo is. So what I'm going to do is, because um, we don't have so much time, I'm going to just jump straight into the Dai Ginjo category. And okay. So you can taste what the super premium sake category tastes like. Okay, I'm going to go over and get it. Okay, so on to the, the final uh, sake of uh, today's flight. It's uh, the super premium, uh, super premium sake. So we call this a Dai Ginjo. I think I introduced it at the beginning of the interview. Um, so this sake is all about the aroma, and or not, well, not just the aroma, but also about uh, elegance and you know really refined flavor profile. Uh, you not you know it shouldn't have any off flavors. It should be really really subtle. I mean sometimes these these daiginjo, um, you know they they can taste a little bit watery to people who aren't used to, and and that's why I, I sort of say to people who've never tasted sake before, not to just go to start off with a, a daiginjo or. A, uh, so, going back to what I was talking about before, with there being two types, uh, alcohol added and non-alcohol added. So you can have alcohol added and non-alcohol added versions of the of the daiginjo as well. So this is actually um, an alcohol added version of a daiginjo. Okay, so it's just called daiginjo. But if you had a jinmai version of the daiginjo, it would be called jinmai daiginjo. So basically, the the way to tell the alcohol added and, and non-alcohol added sake apart is with this word. If you have the word, it means it's non-alcohol added, and if you don't have it, it means it's alcohol added. But if it's too confusing, don't worry about it because it's it's not such a big thing, really, is it? I mean, just remember the word daiginjo, okay? So the sake is fermented at very low temperature. I you don't think you got this low with wine. It's around six to ten degrees. And at this temperature, what happens is the yeast becomes stressed out. It's devoid of the nutrients that it needs to ferment, and it's you know, it's like putting a human being in a refrigerator with no food, and you know, uh, you just go crazy, and you start like frantically trying to survive. And that's what the yeast does. And when it actually works that hard, it produces these higher alcohols, which are the precursors for those things we know as esters, right? So you should get is esters and drugs. So yeah. Get straight into this. Yeah. This is really like a clear water white. This yeah. should be clear yeah. water white. Yeah. yeah, you don't see any no any yellow, any no any green. No. You don't want colour in your nice, you know daigin pristine daigin job. It has to be like crystal. And it has to be in a wine glass as well. This should always be in a wine glass, I believe. So we, we're, we're not having a wine glass tonight, but uh, nope. we're using this little... Kind of trumpet-shaped, uh, we don't have a name for it. Yeah. It's just kind of like a ginjo glass. Uh, so ginjo is the name for this aromatic, floral, fruity style of sake. 
basically you could rec you could call a, I, 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 one of the sake pros uh, in, in Japan. Uh, I mentioned him before, John Gauntner. He refers to the daiginjo as the ginjo to die for. <laughs> <laughs> so th this is made with rice mill to 50% and the ginjo is made with rice mill to 60%. So this really is the super premium. Okay, so stick my nose into this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you definitely you get. Uh, there's a lot going on. Like yeah, a lot of uh, fruits. I, I yeah. would say like there's melon there. Yeah, uh, definitely melon. The, the point with this is though green apple. Green apple. Yeah. You should probably get all of the, yeah. the ripe ripe fruits, right? Yeah really ripe fruit and the point is that even if there is any leftover rice flavor in there and there probably is like steamed rice rice flour things like that they shouldn't be the the main focus of the sake i would say yeah like rice flour like even like yeah powdery dry rice right flour. I, I don't know how how no I can don't, yeah a powdery dry no, thing out of, the, uh, out of a liquid me but neither it's definitely it's, there it still puzzles me <laughs> yeah. but but yeah rice flour yeah. but what you should get in front of all that is this really pure and I use the word pure and ripe fruit if you have ever tasted like uh, really refined Japanese sweets made from uh, rice and mochi yeah, yeah, yeah. aromatized with uh, some Essences, yeah, yeah. oil, essential mm. oils, rose mm. oil. That's like like the daiginjo. Very similar. Yeah. We often refer to this aroma as being a Japanese confectionery yeah. aroma, yeah. wagashi. Yeah, Japanese the, the wagashi, the wagashi aroma. I agree. And that's the, the first thing I. Yeah. I think it's the aniseed. Yeah. The, that aniseed yeah. ester. It, yeah. You know, because you get a lot of aniseed mm. in these mm. sweets, right? Quite a pronounced aroma, right? I mean, in a in a W set wine glass, you would probably get close to pronounced yeah. aroma. This is medium plus. And on the palate, like retro nasally is coming out like yes. really extremely. Yes. This mouth watering. Yeah. It's not only the acid. It's just no. like these aromas. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's not much acid in this. Like, no, and, and the mouth watering might be coming a little bit from the alcohol as well because it's the added yeah. alcohol. Style. Um, but yeah, yeah. Very, very refined, very elegant. It's just, yeah. What would you pair this style of sake with? Well, in a way, uh, especially the alcohol added style daiginjo, it does become a little trickier because. Something you want to enjoy just by itself. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing I would say, one rule I would say, you know. You, you should keep to when you're pairing food with sake uh, so that you never go wrong um, is just match the weight of the sake with the weight of the food so you know this is quite light refined subtle just pick something that's equally as you know delicate and like so I would say straight off you know uh, it's such a cliche I know but I would say sashimi really high quality sashimi like some Japanese kaiseki dishes. Yeah, like definitely. Uh, yeah, maybe, you know, like simmered dishes would be yeah, okay, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Simmered dishes, salad, vegetable-based dishes, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's a good vegetable friend, I would say. Like it is. If, if, you, if you're stuck in a wine pairing with uh, some salad or something, right. this might be a savior. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, um, carpaccio would go, I would go yeah. really well with this. A nice uh, raw, you know, raw ingredients. Raw ingredients is the focus. Um, and, you know, one pairing 
with Daiginjo that never fails, especially fruity times like this one, is uh, prosciutto, uh, Italian ham, and fruit, melon, yeah, yeah. Yeah, wrapped, yeah, melon wrapped. The, you, you can save the, the, uh, the melon. Right? Yeah. Just get the Daiginjo and the prosciutto. And it kind of, it, it kind of substitutes yeah. for the melon, right? Yeah. So definitely like cured meat if it's not too smoky or too heavy. Yeah. Something elegant like jamon serrano or like uh, prosciutto, Italian prosciutto. Yeah. That's like a perfect thing. Definitely. Some cheeses, I would say. Like yeah, cheese. Conte cheese yeah. with this. Yeah, it would, would be, be very nice. Really yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, sake and cheese is, I think, really a match made in It hand. is. Yeah. So, so the, actually, there is one other sake I, I would like you to try as a bonus. Yeah. And um, I won't say any more. But, um, but it's kind of leading on from what you were talking about, cheese and uh, As you get that ready, I'll enjoy the rest. Okay. The daiginjo. Okay. So, this uh, bonus sake which I was talking about, um, I'm going to cut to the chase. It is a sake which, um, which we, I say we, I'm talking about the, the bar that we're in, um, created for pairing with cheese. And now you got me excited. Right. So the whole idea behind this concept is that perhaps because sake is fermented like cheese, it would pair better. It would have a bigger pairing potential than wine. And also you have that umami in the sake which should match the umami and the cheese, right? So, we don't have any cheese, sadly. But actually, you don't need any because the, this, this sake is honestly really... Quick cheese? <laughs> well, it'll have you thinking cheese at the end, I think. So, let's have a look at it first. This definitely has a yellow tinge. Mm. Well, it's, it's very clear. Actually, it's bordering on gold in a way. Yeah. It's kind of like lemon yeah. gold. Lemon, yeah. yeah. Really ripe lemon yeah. peel. And this is basically, I mean, acidity, yeah. number one. Yeah. And also, you're seeing the amino acids in there as well. You can actually visibly see this umami. In the nose, I, I get a little bit of fruitiness. Mm -hmm. Very, very ripe melon, like mm -hmm. almost overripe. Yeah. But also, which is really interesting. Some saltiness. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. salinity, like you would find in really mineral definitely, wines. Definitely. Salinity is, yeah. Mm. Mm. It's like smelling on onsen water or something. Mm. Yes, it's got a slight kind of. Well, it's oxidated, very heavily oxidated um, aromas and flavors. I don't get so much oxidation on this one, like no. in, in a sherry or in a vanilla. Wow. Well, if you compare, no, it's not at that level. But for sake, this is quite oxidated. Mm. So on the palate, it's really, it's a, it's a wild beast. I would yes. Say. Yeah. Um, uh, the acid is over the top. Like this is wine level acidity. Yeah. Yeah. It, this is actually made like a limbic beer. Mm. Oh yeah. Um, in something called the Yamahai style. So, but it's the same concept as they use in lemon beer, which is basically using the microbes in the air to kind of change the acidity in the in the to yeast. Make it really sour. That's right. Kind of create an environment for the yeast to to thrive, kill all the other bacteria, because yeast can survive with high acidity, but the other bacteria can't. But it just allows that wild bacteria just enough time to throw in these kind of gamey. We like to refer to them as gamey, wild, yeah, the funky of, uh, stuff. elements, yeah. and. 
I don't know about you, but I always get gorgonzola at the end of this, this sake. Like just yeah, the, the blue cheese. Yeah. Like like this little bitterness and yeah. little. I I. It's hard to describe. Yeah, that it's kind flavor. of salty, it's salty, salty, salty. Yeah. And also like. Uh, nutty, maybe. Yeah, nutty blue yeah. cheese. Yeah. So this and sake really is in the, in, the, in the final bit of the aftertaste. Mm. It's like really, really itself. And it's a long finish, right? Yeah. A really yeah. long finish. And when you when you combine this with the right cheese, the finish becomes never ending. It just it just goes on and on. And what we do here here very often is we 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 have a dish of cheese and we pour soy sauce over the top. Mm. It's like a, a very very um, kind of savory type soy sauce. So you, you um, do umami, 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 more umami. Yeah, if you like umami, you can't get enough of umami. If you're a fan of the umami burger, mm. this is kind of like the sake version, yeah. the, the pairing is concerned. I so, want to try this with Roquefort, actually. Like yeah. Roquefort butter, show you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can I can tell you it goes really well with cheddar cheese and gouda cheese. Oh, yeah. Mimolet yeah. would be awesome. Mimolet is amazing yeah. as well, yeah. Okay, yeah. So let, let me talk very briefly about this, uh, the, this this bar because we didn't say so much about the bar. But uh, so the the name of this uh, sake experience is Kurand. Kurand. Yeah, K U R A N D. They are basically the concept is very simple. The idea is that when you can when you have access to so many different types of sake, anyone. Is able to find something that matches their, their you know, their, their palate, their, their preference. And there are over a hundred different types of uh, sake, plum wines. There's some few plum wines in there as well, fruit liqueurs. Um, and the idea is that so you come here, you pay one fee, and then you get like five hours of all you can. I'm not gonna say drink, but all you can taste. Um, and you just pour, you know, you you pour your own sake. You actually take the bottle out of the fridge and you pour your own sake. So you can pour as little or as you know as much as you want and uh, another concept that we, we really rely heavily on uh, we focus heavily on is what you'll find uh, when you come here is that a lot of the breweries in the fridge are not that well known would you agree with that they're, yeah they're, they're, they're a lot like of kind of under the radar under the radar mm. breweries so one other concept that we are pushing is you know there are a lot of different breweries out there i mean you can't compare it to the number of wineries but there are still around a thousand breweries in japan and there are a lot of little breweries you know run by like families of two people or something and teams of three people but they never get a look in here in tokyo it's always the same brands you know getting the spotlight it's the, the thing like Yesterday I arrived and was pretty tired from the flight and the first thing when you come to Tokyo you want to eat sushi. Right. So I okay, go to a nice sushi place, they have really nice sushi, but they have only the old boring Dasai and Hakai-san right. and maybe Kubota. You can yeah. get all over the world Yeah. and you don't want to come to Tokyo and drink the stuff you can get at no. home. It's much cheaper here, but still, you yeah. want to experience something unique, different. Yeah, and, and you know, Japan, one of the amazing things about Japan, um, probably only comparable to Italy, maybe, is the regionality. You know, you can jump from one town to another and the food and the culture can be completely different. And you really, you can really taste this in the, in the, the sake as well, I think. Although the regionality is not as strong as it is with wine, so you can't pick your sake by region, it's very difficult to do that. It's, it's not, not so much about where the rice grew up, it's more about regional identity. Production. It's more like, like the, 
the Belgian or German beer, right? Where you have like distinct brewing methods and right. traditions in a right. place, right. like the the lambics of Brussels or the yeah. wheat beers of southern Germany. Yeah, I, I think it's more like that. It's more really tradition and culture, yeah. and and every kind of region has its own traditional culture. And one thing that these smaller breweries, you know, they might lack size, but what they lack in size, they make up for with. You know, really, really high-quality traditional brewing, and identity, and identity and character, and identity and character can be rephrased as story, right? And one massive concept about Grand is telling the story inside the bottle. Uh, nearly all of our sake has a story, you know, um, and you know some of these stray a little bit into those really cool. Parts of Japanese culture, like we have a, a sake brewery that likes to put anime characters on their label, for example. Oh yeah, I know that. And one of the you know thing about telling the story is creating new stories. So what Koran does a lot now is because we have such a good relationship with the breweries that we well, showcase here. We actually make new sake. We we kind of join forces with breweries, and a lot of breweries they have tanks going spare, which you can you know. Pay for it. So we rent a tank and we make new sake. And that cheese one was one of our project grandest experiments, I think. We, we developed that with a cheese specialist cheese shop in Tokyo. Is it only available at Koran? Correct, yes. Um, and actually, Koran now sells online in Japan. Uh, we weren't selling online before, but we are actually selling online. But yeah, all the products, all the sake that you can taste in Koran can only be tasted here. And that's another great feature of, of coming to taste sake here. I would definitely recommend trying Koran. There is a lot of locations all over Tokyo, so you don't miss it. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's amazing value. And for all you wine bloggers, uh, wine writers, uh, sake writers, aspiring bloggers, you get Wi-Fi here yep. uh, free. Yep. You have five hours. You have a hundred different drinks to taste here. You could write your blog like on the spot. That's right. With and sit around with the locals. Yeah. Know some Japanese. Some yep. of the locals know a little bit of English. It's definitely worth it. And you can explore like the Depachika, the department store basements where they have right. all that amazing food. Yeah. Buy whatever you like and just bring it and pair it with your favorite sake. You know, you know how it works. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know how it works. And yeah, that's a great thing to do if you have the time. Go and get a load of the Pachika food, come here and you'll have an amazing experience. You don't have to go to the expensive sake bars, the no. expensive restaurants. Just no. get the food at the department store, eat it with the locals right. in a local place. Yeah. And if five hours sounds like, you know, too long, uh, they do actually have like one hour, uh, 90 minute, 30 minute variants of this uh, all you can taste um, experience. So you don't necessarily have to come in for the full five hours, but believe you me, it's still worth it. It's worth it. You know, if you want to taste lots of different types of sake, um, there's no better way to discover sake. If you're listening to this and you're still not sure, you're still feeling a little bit, you know, I haven't quite simplified it enough, or you, you still feel a little bit, you know, skeptical whether you're going to like it. Just, you know, when you're in Japan, come here, check it out. If you're not coming to Japan, you know, still go out and, and buy a few bottles and, and try, you know, and try different different brands, try lots of different varieties, and I'm sure eventually you'll stumble across something which ticks that box. Okay, thank you for tonight. I thank really you. enjoyed this evening. I think I'll finish off all the rest of sake we have here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, hope to see you soon again. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Okay, we hope you enjoyed this segment about sake. Tune in next week for part two. Until then, you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all at Pulled Corks. Also, our beautiful website, www.pulled-corks.com. All kinds of cool stuff on there. Also, uh, look for us on Patreon. Join up, be a patron, get some extra benefits. Uh, That's all we have for this week. And until next time, cheers! Cheers!